The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Well, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Um, braving the weather, I mean, what else are you going to do? Just stay at home underneath your nice warm covers with your pajamas and your sweater and eat soup and read books. Okay, anyways, thanks so much for being here. Uh, I'm excited for what the Lord has for us today. Um, This weekend we had a fantastic time here uh, at our Life Conference, um, learning about getting back up, responding to life's difficulties with radical faith. And uh, Dr. Jim Korber um, shared uh, what the Lord had put on his heart this weekend on that. And if you weren't able to make it, we'll be making those, those... those, that conference available uh, online uh, sometime in the next week, so you can look forward to that and uh, catch up with that, but it was a great time. Um, Dr. Corber and I got acquainted uh, this last fall because I'm pursuing a, a certification um, with a counseling organization, a biblical counseling organization. As part of that certification, um, I had to complete this beastly test, uh, this beastly exam, and send it off. Well, I discovered that Dr. Corber uh, was my... Uh, was my grader for my test. And so um, I got a chance to meet him this last fall at a conference down in Dallas and asked him to come up and, uh, and share with us at our life conference and also to share with you what the Lord's placed on his heart uh, as well. Um, Jim comes from Ohio. He and his wife, Michelle, have been married 32 years. Uh, she's hanging out with the ladies in their life group at this hour this morning. And they've got four children. He's uh, uh, an elder on staff there at Grace Covenant in Beaver Creek, Ohio. And we'll look forward to what the Lord has to share through him this morning. Um, Let me lift up our time in prayer if I can. Father, thank you so much for um, this opportunity to be together, Lord, uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ. And and we are here expecting you to do a work in our hearts, Lord. Please, if if we don't have your wisdom and your instruction and your way, we're lost. And far be it from us to try to do things our own way. Um, We know that that just doesn't work. So open our hearts, Lord. Please speak to us. Give us your word, what you have for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you. By the way, obviously things went well if Ryan asked me to come here, right? So he did very well in his exams. I'm glad to report. And in fact, um, it's kind of a multi-phase process. And so sometimes there's a little bit of back and forth. Hey, we want you to adjust this or make this change. And So when uh, our mutual friend Blake uh, connected us at the conference, he said, hey, you know, this guy Ryan, you graded his exams, he's at the conference, um, and I'd like you to meet him. I thought, oh, I don't, like, I don't remember what I said in his exam, because I grade a lot of exams, and so, but it was all good, and we're glad that uh, Ryan is moving forward in that certification process with an organization called ACBC. Uh, ACBC, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. So ACBC sounds a lot like ACDC, so we like to say it's a highway to help. So, and, uh, but I was warned about, you know, telling jokes. I'm not really good at them, so we'll just leave that one right there. Also, I was told, so we live in Ohio. My wife is from Ohio, um, but I'm from New England. (laughs) So I was told not to say anything about the joy that I received last weekend after a certain... (laughs) sporting event. So, but um, no, it's good to be here with you. Also, 
Uh, I extend uh, the greetings from our people at Grace Covenant in Beaver Creek to you today. They're done worshiping. They were two hours behind, but they wanted to be sure that uh, I would uh, send along to you their greetings. And they're glad uh, to loan us out to take some time and open God's word with other churches. I love all the connections that you can make uh, with people. Um, I don't know a lot of people. Well, actually, I do now. I didn't know a lot of people from Montana until now. And it's just wonderful even talking with Patrice to find out that she was, when she lived in Ohio, actually attended the church my in-laws attend and where we were married. So just it's neat to make those connections. Well, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles today to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to read a passage from chapter 4, verse 7 through 5, 10, I believe. And, uh, and then we want to talk about chapter 4 and verse 15 on the whole topic of thanksgiving. And so when you found the passage, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, um, I'll read um, as you listen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So when you find it, uh, go ahead and stand. We have a very technological church. Everyone has iPads. It's, it's neat to hear Bible pages flipping because now I, I can kind of tell when you get there. And uh, sometimes I can't tell with iPads, right? Well, this is the word of the Lord. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us, us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. 
for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of you may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, we want to talk about Thanksgiving. Um, as uh, uh, Ryan talked to me about this weekend and the conference that we had, it was a conference where we were addressing the whole issue of, of getting back up and persevering even in the midst of trials and difficulties that come our way. And uh, so as I was thinking about what I could prepare for a sermon, I thought about this passage that really talks about weakness and suffering and in God's power at work within us in these jars of clay, all so that we could see more and more people respond to grace and give thanksgiving all to the praise of his glory. And so I thought this would be a good passage for us to look at today because thanksgiving is, or it should be, the natural or expected, expected response of the believer, the one who has placed his faith in Jesus Christ. If we're honest, we struggle with that, don't we? We, we can't be complainers. Um, you know, maybe some of you grumbled at minus whatever it was today. Um, there are things that can cause us grief and difficulty in this life. But on balance, I want you to understand as we go through this passage today that part of the DNA of being a follower of Jesus Christ, part of our identity, who we are, what we look like, how we sound, ought to include thanksgiving as, as a natural or expected response to the gospel. It's the outworking, if you will, of the new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. So let's think, it's just by way of introduction, of some, some ways that we ought to be thankful as we think about the gospel. For instance, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Christ, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And so there's an aspect of the gospel that ought to bring us great thankfulness. No longer a slave to fear of death. And so as we think about death, I was thinking uh, about a friend of mine who actually is with the Lord now. He was an older gentleman who was a mentor to many of us in our area of Ohio. And he used to say, I'm a chicken when it comes to dying. I'm not scared of death, but the process of dying, that's what makes me scared. But do you hear what's going on in his heart? He's not afraid of death. He's not afraid to meet Christ. Why? Because of Christ. And so we've died to ourselves and we are now alive in Christ. And so you can kill this decrepit body, but if you do that, you really haven't done much of anything because the believer's hope is not propping up these bodies that are fallen, these jars of clay. No, our hope is that we are already alive in Jesus Christ, awaiting our ultimate sanctification with new bodies which will be able to serve him without all the encumbrances of the fall. Isn't that good news? That uh, as we think about that coming day, we won't struggle with creaky joints or cancer or whatever it is that's ailing you. Or think of this as we consider the gospel. Because we've been reconciled with God, we can now be reconciled with one another. And uh, I know as you gather together, no doubt there's times you've sinned against one another. But we have the hope of the gospel that says we can now be reconciled. People who once would have been at odds are now able to say, please forgive me. 
and to grant forgiveness and to, and to work things out. And we have the body of Christ to even help us with this. This is all because of the gospel. So we can practice forgiveness and genuine biblical love and seek to outdo one another in showing honor. Here's another aspect of the gospel. Um, the reversal of the fall's effect on our thinking. So in the gospel of Rome, or in the um, uh, letter to the Romans that Paul wrote, uh, he tells us this. For what can be known about God, so knowledge, thinking of our mind, is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Take a drive to Red Lodge or to the Rocky Mountains and, and you see creation in just all of its brilliance and all of its glory that just cries out, there is a creator. That's what the writer is saying here as we consider the human body or just um, all of the things that God has created. There, there's order and uh, there's a, a sense of purpose and design. And so we know that God created. It just should be obvious to people. But notice, he says, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their, in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And so that's the human heart and mind prior to responding to the gospel. So Paul will later say in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your, and some of you know it, what? Mind, the way we think, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so think about this, because of the gospel, I know now how to think right about God and, and how to please him. That should cause us to be thankful and grateful. And so we should be thankful for all things, our homes, the food on our tables, furnaces that keep us warm on cold days like today. But all of these things, isn't this true? All of these things pale in comparison to being alive in Christ. We have a song we love to sing. I may perhaps you sing it as well. It's called In Christ Alone, and I love that. Um, I think it's the last verse. I love all the verses, but this last verse says, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. So believers have many things to be grateful for as it relates to the Lord's blessings here on this earth, but mostly what we have in Christ. So 2 Corinthians 4.15 says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And so let's consider God's word to us today in this passage delivered by his servant Paul uh, to the church in Corinth and to us here in Billings, Montana on this cold day. And so the first thing I want you to notice is that there's a context to this Thanksgiving. 
Now, we don't have time to go fully into all of the context that precedes this, but in chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through chapter 4, verse 6, Paul starts this extended conversation about the new covenant that we have in Christ Jesus. And as we celebrate the Lord's table, that's what we do when we uh, celebrate the cup, don't we? We take this cup, which is the new covenant, in his blessing and in Jesus Christ. And so what was foreshadowed in the old covenant has broken forth into glorious light in Christ. It brings hope from despair to the elect as we are not the objects of his wrath, but now we are the objects of his love. We now wait for that future glory. We're going to consider that later in our passage. But during this time of waiting, we are to be thankful. And we're to be thankful in in some other contexts as well. Well, this first context is we're to be thankful in the new covenant. Notice that the treasure uh, when we read in verse 7, is in these jars of clay, that, that that treasure is that new covenant that is in these jars of clay. And so as we think of jars of clay, that brings us to our next context, and that's weakness. We are weak. Um, as I was thinking about uh, how to prepare for this weekend, um, it, this was, oh, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago, and I was thinking about this message um, I was uh, get, getting ready to get into the office, and my daughter graciously let me borrow her favorite Snoopy coffee mug. Okay, so get the picture of a, a nice Snoopy coffee mug filled with coffee. I had actually had the coffee already. I had an hour's drive, and as I got out, I had all the stuff in my hands, and I lost my grip on the Snoopy mug, and it fell from about this high to the pavement below. And you know what happened, right? Smash. It was everywhere. So I, I broke... Now, she's good with me. I'm good with her. We've worked it out, okay? But uh, I broke her Snoopy mug, and, uh, and, and it just reminded me, I thought, uh, not insignificantly as I'm preparing this sermon, that that's what we're like. We're like these jars of clay. We're weak, and uh, we need help. And so we need to recognize, as Paul tells us, that we are jars of clay. And by the way, that was the meaning that they would have understood as he wrote to the Corinthians. Jars of clay implies weakness. And so apart from the strengthening hand of God, there's no independently strong person in Paul's day or our day or in this room. That independence, that pull yourself up by your own bootstraps mindset is an illusion. And so if you're young and strong... That's a provision from the Lord. But there's a reminder in Ecclesiastes. He tells us, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your own body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come. And he talks about the evil days when your eyesight starts to go. He says things like when your grinder cease, that means like when your teeth fall out. And anybody have that? I've had that happen. And so it happens. And so we recognize that we're vulnerable. And even a young person, though they're strong, that strength is a gift and it won't last. And so we need to recognize that we are inherently weak apart from the very breath we breathe being given, being granted by the Lord. I think we just sang about that, didn't we? And so as we think about this, this is important for thanksgiving. Because if you're boasting in yourself, you're going to be disappointed. It's a foolish errand. But boasting in Christ, 
in whom you find sure and ultimate satisfaction. Now that makes a lot of sense. So we're weak. Another part of the context that Paul talks about is there's power, but it's God's power. It's resurrection power. Paul says in Ephesians that the same power that raised Christ from the grave is the same power that is at work within us. In our passage here, he tells us that uh, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In verses 13 and 14, he says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus, that's power, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And so God's power is at work. Consider carefully the significance of the fact that the same power that raised Christ from the grave is at work in your life as one of the beloved. And so that ought to settle into our hearts even as we think about praying, as we pray about a broken relationship, a difficult situation, a trial. We can go to God knowing that he gives wisdom generously, that he lavishes us with his grace, and that that power that's working in us is the same power that raised Christ from the grave. And so we can have confidence when we pray. So do you pray like that? Do you think like that? Well, not only is the context of this grace producing thanksgiving taking place in the context of the resurrection power and the new covenant and weakness, surprisingly, or not surprisingly, actually, it's taking place in the midst of our suffering. And notice it's suffering, but not suffering with despair. It's suffering without despair. I was thinking about suffering, and it reminded me of uh, John Bunyan. And uh, one of the most popular books next to the scriptures was The Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody read The Pilgrim's Progress? If if you haven't, you need to. Uh, It's a powerful book and very helpful in understanding the gospel and um, was very impactful in my life as a youth. But John Bunyan wrote that in prison. And uh, John Bunyan uh, was um, known for this by the prison guards. They would slide his bread and water under the door for him to uh, eat in his prison cell. He would get on his knees, and they would listen, and they'd watch through the bars, I guess. And he would raise his hands to heaven, and he would say, All this and heaven too. And I thought that's a wonderful picture of of how we should be thankful and grateful, even in the midst of, of suffering. But notice, and I think this is why John Bunyan could say this, is it was only temporary. It's to be expected, but it will not destroy us. Consider Romans chapter 8. And uh, we could start with Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now, what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on, he talks about we should expect groaning and suffering But then in verse 31, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The response is, no one. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
And he goes on and he gives a whole list. And he finishes, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our suffering not only won't overtake us, the scriptures also tell us that it has sanctifying purposes. James chapter 1 tells us, consider all joys you face various trials. Why? Because it sanctifies us, it makes us complete and mature. And so if you've suffered in faith, you already know this. Something takes place in your life. You now know things and are assured of things that only could be known because of that suffering and that trial that you've gone through. And you're thankful and you would never exchange that suffering for comfort because what you have gained. And so this suffering is is temporary and purposeful in the life of a believer. So when Paul says to the Philippians, rejoice always, again I say rejoice, that makes a lot of sense. But what kind of puts an exclamation point with that statement is he's writing that from prison. Now, Paul had been in house arrest before, but this time he was actually in stocks and bonds and in a, a dingy prison. And so it makes sense uh, to, to Paul, it should make sense to us, that even, even in suffering, we, we ought to rejoice. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians was, was not a pretty one. They were very sinful and divisive. In fact, I used to think that it was a sin for believers to use sarcasm. Until I read 1 Corinthians, when Paul says, oh, that you were kings, you know, and he's mocking them. And, and I thought, okay, maybe I can add a little sarcasm. But uh, these were divisive, prickly people. And yet Paul even says at the beginning of his letter to them, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And so they were a burden to Paul. He was suffering because of the Corinthians, and yet he was thankful for them. Why? Because he knew that the grace of God could accomplish things even in the prickly Corinthians that he was writing to. Well, beloved, face your suffering with thanksgiving. God is at work to accomplish something in you that you would not find accomplished apart from that suffering. And it's so that people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, we've considered this context for Thanksgiving in the New Covenant, weakness, power, suffering. There's one more, and it's death. Death to ourselves because we find new life in Christ. I'm not talking about our physical death. That will come one day, and we have the hope of resurrection. But if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, you've died to yourself, and you're now alive in Christ so that he is exalted Dying to ourselves and finding ourselves alive in him is our only hope so that in all things our lives point to the magnificence of a risen Savior. That's why he redeemed us, so that people wouldn't say, hey, look at that great guy. He redeemed us so that they would say, wow, what a magnificent Savior. So death is at work in us, but life in you, Paul said. Dying to ourselves recognizes that we are only alive in him. And the only means for being a grace-filled, thanksgiving-filled person is to find our life in him, period. Well, that's the context. The new covenant, weakness, the power of God, suffering, being dead to ourselves but alive in Christ. 
We want to talk about the source and cause of thanksgiving. And so he says in verse 15, just as a reminder, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we've already mentioned it. Grace is the source. It's necessary because we're morally unable to choose Christ apart from his granting us this grace. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But we also need to understand God's grace in light of our sin. You know these verses, right? Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he goes on and he tells us that uh, because of this problem and because God is just, he tells us that he's done something through Christ in that he's both the just and the justifier of all who will believe. And so because of sin, we can have no hope apart from Christ who justifies us. And so the source is grace. The goal of thanksgiving is God's glory, as he tells us in this passage. And so as we think about that, we think of like passages like Philippians 2, where he says, In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't miss the importance of God's glory being why we want to be thankful people. If God's glory is not our aim, then we will have no capacity to be thankful and rejoice. Instead, we'll be consumed with bitterness and worry and fear and people-pleasing and we'll end our lives thinking, boy, that wasn't so great. But our thanksgiving, on the other hand, is a means to point people to God's glory so that others may worship him too. Let me ask you a question. Can you possibly be evangelistic and not thankful? It's probably not going to be very effective if you do it at all. But when you're amazed by God's grace and seek to bring him glory in all of your life, thanksgiving will pour out of you. It'll be noticed. People will say, wow, why is that guy so thankful? What is he grateful for, even in the midst of suffering and weakness? Well, finally, we want to consider the hope of thanksgiving and its future glory. It's all throughout this passage, but this future glory is only accomplished through the new covenant in Christ Jesus. So he says in verse 16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So as we think about that, we recognize that it's actually doing something for which to be thankful. Suffering, as we think about this passage, has a way of reorienting in our hearts and our minds what's important Suffering has a way of pointing us to the one who is the most important and who can help. In fact, promises resurrection when it finally comes, crashing down around us, and we breathe our last. And everyone in this room will, unless the Lord returns first. Some of you are hoping for that, right? Well, I want to read to you a quote from Paul Tripp. He says, Thousands of years into eternity, as you're living in a perfect world, 
that has been made in a new, made new in every way, you'll look back on what now seems unbearable and inescapable as a brief flash of difficulty. So cancer, a difficult relationship, an accident, suffering that just seems so difficult now, in eternity we're going to go, what? In light of all this glory, what was that? Not much. I'm going to get back to worship. And so it's hard to grasp, he says, but try. There will be a day when you will look back at this huge and horrible thing, and it will look to you like a little thing. And so Paul writes, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. And this is a momentary affliction. Well, I want to provide some application for you today. Thanksgiving ought to produce something good in our lives. And so if you're fighting against complaining and you're striving to be a thankful, grateful person, you ought to know that it will increase our joy in what is truly praiseworthy. Christ, our great high priest, having fulfilled the law, suffered and died to bear upon himself the wrath of God that we deserve for all who would believe, buried and risen from the grave, assuring our justification and soon returning. And so it'll increase our joy in that instead of the things that we're looking at that perhaps we're losing here. It keeps us focused on what is important now and what is eternal. It helps us to persevere. And so let me ask you a question. Are you thankful? If you're in Christ, you ought to be. You should be growing in gratefulness. But maybe you're not thankful because you're not in Christ. And I'd like to just share with you that there are many here today, including myself and Pastor Paul, who would love to share with you Christ so that you too can join the ranks of the thankful. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. Father, we pray that you would plant it deep in our hearts. Father, we pray that you would help us as believers to be thankful and grateful to you. I pray for those who may be here today who don't know the Savior, that today that they would be able to rejoice with the rest of us that we have a great Savior who means who has brought to us hope when, when we fear death, so now we can no longer fear death, so that we can have reconciliation with others around us, so that we can love you and love others deeply and point everyone to the magnificence of Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we come to a time of response to God's word this morning in our own lives. And as you look at your own life and as you listen to Dr. Corber share the word of God today, is it possible that you'd have to admit that you're, you're missing this aspect of thanksgiving in your life? Maybe, it, maybe what's happened in your life is because of the season that you're in or, the, or a struggle or a time you're going through some suffering or difficulty. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I, no one's going to come to you. No one's going to embarrass you. But how many of you just would signify by the raised hand, I, I'm going through a tough season right now. And you just say, Paul, pray for me. I'm, I'm going through a time right now that's been difficult, it's been hard. Maybe relationship, maybe health, maybe money. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's when we go through these times that uh, we get kind of... We get moved off our game. We, everything changes for us. Maybe, maybe you were once a thankful person and now you've kind of lost that. And what's replaced it is complaining and moaning and whining and doubting God and maybe asking why. And this morning God speaks to us by his word and he says, you know, there's a game changer here. 
There's something that my spirit does with my word that draws the believer's heart again. It's really the only response, isn't it? The response of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a response of worship. It's a, it is a response that not only brings about the glory of God, but it facilitates the glory of God. And this morning, you know you want to be that person. So once again, how many of you would raise your hand and say, Paul, pray for me. I want to be a thankful person. I want to have an attitude of gratitude. Yeah, all over the room. Thank you. Thank you. Father, you've seen our hands. You know our hearts. You know everything about us. You know each and every individual journey that brings us to this place. And we ask your forgiveness. We ask your forgiveness for being selfish and unthankful. And today we pray that we would take this and begin to experience this incredible dynamic that your word reveals that when we are thankful, we set the Spirit free to bring about this great work in our life as our response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, do this in our lives for your glory, for your worship, for your majesty. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, by way of benediction this morning, The scripture says in 2 Thessalonians, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. I'm going to ask... Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.